Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Film Haven Reviews. I am your host Sawyer as always, and today we are not doing trucker movies. Now I know that I said that we were going to do that last week, but then I realized that Oppenheimer was coming out, and so I decided to forego the trucker movies for now. I know a lot of you are heartbroken, but... Be patient because it will come out soon and about two themes from now. I think I'm legitimately going to do trucker movies, so don't worry. But Oppenheimer's coming out, and this time I wanted to maybe be a little bit more topical than I am usually. I read the, or I should say I listened to the audiobook for American Prometheus, which is the definitive Robert J. Oppenheimer biography, and it is it was what inspired Christopher Nolan to make the movie. And so I just had the idea of doing an atomic theme. So we're starting a new theme of atomic age movies. And these are movies that have something to do with the atomic bomb in some form or fashion. So obviously this movie should go first because it is about the making of the atomic bomb. And since I read the book and I really enjoyed it, I was especially excited to see this movie release. And I got to say... It is amazing. Now, shocker, shocker, once again, uh, if you've read any reviews, and at this point, the movie is so big that you probably have, since this is coming out two weeks after I even watched the movie and since it released, everybody's been kind of pitching their thoughts into the movie, which is fun because uh, I think this Barbenheimer, Barbie and Oppenheimer mix is probably the biggest thing that's happened to movies in a long time. And it's been nice to have a cinematic experience that the general zeitgeist can enjoy together and everyone can go to the movie theaters and actually get excited about going to the movie theaters. I know me and my friends, we never really stopped getting excited to go to the movie theaters, but I've heard a lot of people over the years since COVID kind of be like, "Ah, movie theaters are overrated, it's gross and all this kind of stuff. But man, you just can't beat sitting in those chairs and watching the big screen It is just something about it that is different than being at home. There's plenty of movies you can watch at home, but to watch something like Oppenheimer or even Barbie on the big screen is just, it's a special experience. And I watched Barbie just a couple of days before this, and I really enjoyed it. I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought it was just going to be like a standard comedy, but it was a lot headier than I thought and had a lot more of a message in a fun way. I'm not going to review it, but I give it a solid 8.5, which is a really good score. Um, but anyway, this is not the Barbie review. This is the Oppenheimer review. And so let's get into it. So for anyone who's been living under a rock and doesn't know what this movie's about, it's about the father of the atomic bomb, the director of the science side of the Manhattan Project. And it follows his life. The movie follows his life from about college age to uh, the post-war years. The book goes, obviously, since it is a biography, it goes from birth to death. This movie takes place from about the after the first third of the book into the last third of the book. So it's just like that whole middle girthy section of the book is displayed meticulously in Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan obviously read the book. He obviously knew a lot about Oppenheimer. I have actually had some issues with Christopher Nolan in the past. He's a phenomenal director, and these issues that I have are honestly like not that big of a deal. But like, for example, in... Uh, Inception, 
there's just not a lot of character development. A lot of his movies are technically very complicated and impressive, and the plots are very twisty and and there's so much to get into. You you could you know looking at the behind the scenes of any Christopher Nolan movie is always going to be a treat. He's his ventures in practical effects and and all the things that he's done. I remember Dark Knight Rises. He literally takes apart a plane in the air in Inception. He's he has an entire set tilt so that you can have this one effect in the movie. I mean, he goes above and beyond to make sure that the movie is a spectacle. Now, my biggest issues with him is just character development. Uh, Interstellar is an exception. That movie is incredible and it has awesome character development and it's a very emotional movie. And I have to be honest, I haven't seen Dunkirk or Tenet, so I've been kind of off the Christopher Nolan train for a little bit. Nothing against those movies. I just haven't gotten around to watching them. Uh, but I, despite my issues with Christopher Nolan, I know that he is someone who is very meticulous and he has proven that in spades with this movie. Like I was saying, other than maybe Lord of the Rings, which that is a fantasy book, so it's hard, hard to even compare, this is the greatest that I've seen book to movie adaptation to the point where since I read the book or listened to the book, when I was in the movie theater with my girlfriend and she hadn't, you know, she hadn't read anything. And so she was kind of watching it with fresh eyes. I was literally turning to her and quoting scenes before they happened because I just knew what was going to happen because he follows the story so meticulously and straight up quotes like, there, you would be surprised in this movie how many verbatim quotes are in it. Like a lot of the movie is just exactly what people said. And that you don't see that a lot in based on a true story kind of movies. Like this isn't just like your every year we have like Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody or like some kind of music biopic. And it's kind of, you know, they take dramatic. There's scenes that, of course, that really happen, but they take a lot of dramatic steps with it but this movie pretty much is nuts and bolts exactly what happened in real life and i loved that and with that uh, speaking about robert oppenheimer himself the book does a great job of doing this and the movie in turn does the same showing this person robert oppenheimer warts and all he was not a great dude in a lot of ways i mean he was a very flawed person depending on who you ask he was a terrible person and on top of building literally a bomb that may just well destroy the world one day he's not you can call him a villain if you wanted to i think that that's fair i think that the movie also empathizes with him at times and the book does as well i mean it's hard to not empathize with a character like say through the book that you're take that you're going from birth to death with i mean you saw him when he was a kid you read about him when he was a kid when he was more innocent and then he goes through life and he makes all these mistakes and he does all these great things, but then he also does these horrible things. And then he's prosecuted and, and, and persecuted. So it's truly this really fascinatingly complex picture of a life. And as well as a drop in our history that is probably the most crucial to America. And obviously extremely impactful to another country, Japan. So, and then after that, it spreads out to the entire world, the entire nuclear age, the Cold War, the atomic age, the age that we are in now. It's all because of this time period and because of the Manhattan Project. And in a lot of ways, we don't know what would happen if we had a different director than Oppenheimer, but that's who we had. And the atomic bomb was made. 
Let's back up just a little bit and talk a little bit more about the narrative of the film. So it starts out, of course, when he's in college, but the movie mostly kind of jumps around a little bit until it gets later into the movie. The first like third of the movie is really jumpy, going from his early life when he was in college and then jumping forward to when he has these these hearings about his security clearance. They're trying to basically deny his security clearance because of his left-wing associations before the war and possibly some during the war. Basically, this is during the McCarthy era when communism was the big no-no word and there was all this witch hunts going on uh, trying to blacklist and defame lots of people as our relationship with the Soviets was deteriorating and fear-mongering was the the way of the world at the time, especially within America. And so even though he had these security clearances cleared, that means not like anyone didn't know about all this stuff for the most part. Now that the Red Scare is happening, the board of the Atomic Energy Commission is trying to see if whether Oppenheimer really should be allowed certain security clearances considering his past communist dealings. Now, this is predicated very possibly by one person, Louis Strauss, played by Robert Downey Jr. But you'll have to watch the movie to see how that all shakes out. But so you have this happening in the 50s. This I think I believe it was 54 when that was going on. And then you have the Manhattan Project. And then you have beforehand where he's in college. Now, the movie, the first third, jumps back and forth between the hearing days and the college days. Now, for me, I had no problem following. It was actually super fun to be like, oh, there's that person. Oh, and there's that person. And I know I know what's about to happen and all this kind of stuff because... I listened to the book, but I could see for some people being a little confused in that beginning area. And I talked to some of my friends and a few of them were like, yeah, it was pretty jumpy. It's very, it's almost not avant-garde, but a lot more conceptual in that beginning time. You've got all these uh, cutaway shots to neutrons and uh, and chemical reactions and stuff happening uh, in between these scenes. And it's almost like trying to give you this sense of uh, a brooding mind that is starting to build and create new ideas. He's a theoretical physicist and he's coming into his own. And because of that, like it's like the synapses are firing, the, the light bulbs are coming on. And, and that's what these, these cutaways are to electrons moving in a circle and going really fast and kind of looking like what you would think like an atom would look like uh, in real life. And, but it, because of that jumpiness, I could see a lot of people kind of being like, okay, what's, what's happening. I'm really trying to follow here. But for, at the same time, I've also heard one of my buddies say that it made him later after watching the movie, want to go and watch the movie again so that he can understand and catch more things. And so I think even if you didn't read the book, it's still enriching because the, the tone that it's made in the acting, the entire vibe that Christopher Nolan is creating and that kind of fascinated speech between all these intellectuals talking, it just it just kind of gets your mind racing and it stimulates your brain. And I think a lot of people just, even if they weren't following 100%, they were in it. And as the movie goes on, the narrative begins to form a little bit clearer and there's less of those jumping back and forth as you get into the Manhattan Project and as they start working on building the atomic bomb. Then it's more of a back and forth between communist stuff and Manhattan Project and it just makes a little bit more sense. So I've talked about how good the 
adaptation is, how true to life this movie is. But also, uh, let's talk about the acting. Killian Murphy, absolutely killing it. I mean, if he doesn't get a nomination, I mean, he's going to get an Oscar nomination. Let's just give it to him already. I don't know if he's going to win, but he's definitely going to get a nom. Uh, he was incredible. He looked the part. There was a couple things that I was looking for. Like, he had to be... I mean, I hate when actors have to, like, change their body too much, but he did... I mean, Robert Oppenheimer was a super skinny guy. He was, like, 5'11", and at most 135. Usually, was anywhere between 130 and 135 his whole life because he basically lived off of cigarettes and martinis. But everyone said that he was surprisingly uh, energetic and had lots of stamina, and he would go on these long you know, week, two week, month long backpacking trips on on a horse out in the middle of the New Mexico desert. And everyone who went with him was always like, he could just ride for days. He had so much stamina, even though he was just this wiry dude. So I always thought that was kind of fun. Um, he didn't do a lot of the little ticks that Oppenheimer did in real life, but I guess that may have been a little bit too much. I'm not sure. Um, but for the most part, Killian Murphy really embodied that character. Uh, his accent was on point. I mean, I think Killian Murphy's Irish, so the fact that he could code switch and kind of be an old Oppenheimer kind of accent was really impressive. Acting all around is amazing, particularly Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. Uh, Groves is a very particular person, and he really gave that vibe, uh, that energy that Leslie Groves really had in real life. He, he really exuded it on screen in a good way. You kind of got his personality without anyone having to really tell you what it was. Everyone hated Groves that worked with him besides Oppenheimer because he was, um, frankly, a, a big jerk and was really mean to a lot of people, but he got the job done and he was a genius when it came to engineering and planning and logistics. And so you kind of got that vibe where he's very bullheaded and he just goes, goes, goes and will say his mind no matter what. And um, you really got that vibe from him. A lot of the other characters in the movie i mean uh, the acting was fine i mean like isidore robbie that character was acted great uh a lot of the kind of side characters were really good but a lot of characters just kind of like had like four lines there is many characters that in the book were a little bit bigger but of course we don't have a lot of time so they had to condense their parts and kind of relegate them to just side little characters that you see and have their little glimpses of their characters from the book, say, uh, like Feynman, which is one of the scientists that was working with Oppenheimer. He, he was quite the character. And for example, when the Trinity bomb test was happening and the bomb blows up, he was just sitting behind a windshield in a truck. And they showed that part in the movie. And he also loved his bongo drums and he would play his bongo drums. And they had that in the movie too. So while he didn't have a lot of speaking parts, his character was being shown in the background, and I, and I really enjoyed that. That's the sign of a good filmmaker, that you have all this information that you have to put into a movie, and yet you can convey that even in little bits. And that little bit goes a long way in servicing history as well as servicing the people that, say, read the book or knew a lot about the Manhattan Project or Robert Oppenheimer's life, uh, not just from the book I read, but just from you know all the other biographies about him or about the Manhattan Project. So people like Feynman, uh, Beta, Hans Beta, uh, Niels Bohr, all those guys were done really well. Edward Teller actually was one of the standouts. It was played by uh, one of the Safdie brothers. Uh, what's his name? Benny Safdie. His portrayal of Teller was perfect, and I feel like Nolan really did dramatize a little bit of that more than some of the other parts, the interactions between Teller and Oppenheimer and the rest of the crew. They, he talked about it in the book, but but they dramatized it in a really good way. 
because it really pushed some of the greater points about what was going on between, say, what they called the super, which was the hydrogen bomb, and then the atomic bomb, which is what Oppenheimer was actually working on. So Teller's trying to work on the hydrogen bomb, and then later he does make the hydrogen bomb in history, uh, and their relationship is super fraught, and he was teller has actually made a pariah in the scientific community because he somewhat turns on Oppenheimer during the security clearances. But teller has always been very clear about how much he disagreed with Oppenheimer about most things post Manhattan project, because teller wanted to make the hydrogen bomb and Oppenheimer made his entire political career, basically trying to say they don't need to make the hydrogen bomb. And so obviously even though there's a mutual respect for each other on a personal level and on a hardworking scientist level on the actual concepts and their actual beliefs about policies when it comes to the atomic age moving forward, they are miles apart. And I think that Teller, too, took it a little personally because the hydrogen bomb was always his baby. It was always his idea. And even in the Manhattan Project, Oppenheimer gives him room to be able to develop the hydrogen bomb. And then afterwards, he's saying no. And so obviously, there's going to be some issues there. So yeah, Benny Safdie did a really good job at playing Teller. And it was very fascinating to see those two actors interact with each other. And anytime they were both on screen, it was very, uh, you were drawn to it. Robert Downey Jr. absolutely killed it. Uh, it was nice to see him in a regular movie again, not just being Tony Stark, but being someone with a little bit more depth. Not that Tony Stark doesn't have depth, but you know what I mean. It's, he's not a comic book character. This is someone who is a real-life person with real-life ambitions and real-life complexities to him. And I think they did a really good job with Strauss, surprisingly so, because in the book, I just hate that dude. And in this movie, they kind of mess with you a little bit on whether you should hate him or feel bad for him or whether he's the bad guy or what's going on. And he even goes out and when he goes on a tirade at one point, he says some stuff that might convince you that maybe Oppenheimer is not so great. And if you were already on that team of like Oppenheimer is not awesome, then you might get convinced by Strauss, which I think was a really interesting point. Uh, it just shows that there's two sides to everything. And obviously, when you're reading a book about Robert Oppenheimer's life, it might you might naturally want to go on his side for everything. But Strauss made some points about, you know, Robert Oppenheimer's possible narcissism. He did like to talk and he loved getting up in front and talking to people and he loved how much people liked him. And at some point, you might have to wonder, is he doing things for ulterior motives? And considering that he'd made some really poor personal decisions in his life, you know, you could argue that maybe maybe Strauss has a point on some level. But I feel like the concept with the book that may not have been shown as well, maybe I have to watch it again with the movie, is the thing about the whole security clearance, the communism, the, the Red Scare era the one thing that really drove home in the book towards the end is the miscarriage of not just justice, but of democracy. Because one of the reasons why Oppenheimer is getting punished is because he was going against the popular belief in government at the time that they need to go through and make the hydrogen bomb. The fact that he was basically lobbying against the hydrogen bomb and using his scientific prowess in order to try to convince cabinet members and the joint chiefs of staff and the president to not go through with the super during this time of hysterical anti-communism going against the status quo on a policy level makes 
people give you the side eye. It makes people say, well, why doesn't he want us to make the super? Doesn't he want us to beat the Soviets? If he doesn't want us to beat the Soviets, maybe he's a communist. And that is the problem, right? That is what fear mongering and ideological extremism is going to do. In our sense of our government at the time, the extremism is the anti-communism. So if you're not playing with the team, if you're not going with the flow, then you are a communist. And so because of that, a scientist like Oppenheimer can't even express his opinion to which he was asked because he is just a consultant without being persecuted by the government. And what does that say about our democracy? The idea of democracy is exchanging ideas. And if you can't even say your opinion without being called a communist, then democracy is breaking apart, basically. And that's what was happening in the 50s during the Red Scare. And that is, I think, one of the core lessons that we can take from the Oppenheimer story, taking out all of the the baggage with his character and all that kind of all that kind of stuff it's that moment in history when you really couldn't say your opinion if you were high up without getting scrutiny i mean even when it came to hollywood there's lots of people that got blacklisted just because they had an opinion and that is one of those things that we need to remember that so that we don't get back there and i think that point was made in subtext during the movie but it was drove home a lot more in the book and on that point, I would say that if you loved Oppenheimer, which I feel like a lot of people did, then I really would say maybe don't read the book because it's 1,200 pages long. If you're a big reader, then go for it. But if if you don't feel like tackling a 1,200-page a book, like hard copy, then get on, get it on Audible or wherever you get like audiobooks and stuff because it's truly fascinating and there's a lot more to get into. What Christopher Nolan took from the book, he did perfectly, and I think that he did a really good job at cutting out the stuff that maybe wasn't necessary for a movie. I mean, it was already three hours long. It couldn't be any longer. But what he used was perfect, and there really wasn't anything that was fatty. Uh, everything that was there needed to be there, and he took out pretty much the best parts to take out. Uh, and I, once again, I just have to give him credit for that. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a 9 out of 10 for the ability of Christopher Nolan to, to just take a story and tell it in a beautifully meticulous and also artistic way. And that was one thing that I don't think I've talked about yet, but quickly I'll just say like there are moments where he gets a little conceptual on you where Oppenheimer is flying in a plane uh, in his, in his imagination, watching the V2 rocket fly by and just little things like that, that really, or when he's getting grilled by the AEC board and he's really feeling the pressure and the cupboards and the stuff behind him is starting to shake like the bomb's about to drop. It is just those kind of small little tweaks that elevate this movie from just a simple retelling, which it would have been great if it was just that, but also creating some conceptual, some emotional things through cinematography and through some of the decisions, almost some fantasy elements to, to implement there to really kind of drive some of the points home, even if it's not said explicitly through the dialogue. So, I mean, nine, I would almost say 9.5, but I think I'm, I'm just going to like reserve a little bit because I need to watch it again. My first impressions would almost say 9.5, but I think right now I'm going to stick to a 9 out of 10, which is just an incredible score. I mean, a 9 out of 10 is, is amazing. So um, I, I was very impressed with the movie. One thing, too, I just love that there he just casted so many A-class actors that literally did nothing in the film. There were so many people, even Josh Peck. Josh Peck just came out of nowhere 
uh, he had like two lines in the movie. He's the one that pressed the button on the Trinity test to drop the bomb, and then he just pieced out. That was really, honestly, kind of weird. But there was a lot of characters. Uh, Jack Quaid, who played Feynman, he was great. Uh, but there's a lot of people who were just big names that that hardly had any speaking roles, which I think is really funny. Uh, I guess for some people, it was just an honor to be in a movie about Oppenheimer or in another Christopher Nolan movie. I'm not sure what was going on there or whether Christopher Nolan just thought it would be really funny to implement all these A-class actors in small bit part roles. But it worked. I don't think it was too distracting. If anything, it was another fun thing about the movie while you're watching. You're like, hey, I know that guy. Uh, It wasn't too distracting. The movie was very engrossing. And uh, pretty much everybody I've talked to that have seen it uh, enjoyed it. My girlfriend really liked it, despite really not liking Oppenheimer, which is totally fair. If someone wanted to call this a cinematic masterpiece, I wouldn't argue with them. I will say it is easily my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Interstellar was took the spot before that but now i had to say oppenheimer is a a truly incredible film and it shows that christopher nolan is really only only getting better as he ages and he's not even that old so man let's just see what he's gonna do from here on out i think he's one of the most respected directors in history right now and i think that he deserves that uh as much as i nitpick little things about some of his movies i will say that he has got probably up there of one of the most impressive filmographies of any director out there and he once again i mean if he's going as long as spielberg and ridley scott and a lot of these titanic directors of the last 40 years then we're going to be talking about nolan in the same realm as a spielberg a Scorsese, people like that. I mean, I would say super fans are already doing that, but it's not going to be long before it is an irrefutable fact that he is just a legendary director, the likes of any of the the greats. So I know I'm going long on this one, uh, but it's a special movie and I feel like that's okay. I know a lot of people have thoughts on it. I know a lot of people are curious about it. So I feel like it might deserve a little bit of extra time on the podcast. So, I mean, I pretty much said everything I needed to say. Uh, I could nitpick little things between the book and the movie all day. But basically what it comes down to is that Oppenheimer is one of the best biopics that's ever been made. And it will be a watermark for biopics in the future. So, all right. Next week, we are going to be doing Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove which I have been meaning to watch for so long, and it fits perfectly into this theme of the Atomic Age. I know the movie is kind of like the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or it's like a satirical comedy, and it has a lot to do with uh, the war politics that happened post the creation of the nuclear bomb and kind of how people are using it. I think both Russia and America, I'm just guessing on just little things that I've seen, but I know that the movie is a lot to do with nuclear politics basically which is a perfect segue from the creation of the bomb to how we use the bomb as a political weapon after world war ii so we're going to get into that next week i hope you guys have a great week and i will see you next friday